I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 392. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I'm a Cajun girl living in southern Louisiana, but I was born and raised in Idaho. I know, quite a distance apart, but we have quite a few phrases here that are quite odd for folks outside of southern Louisiana, just some local phrasing. I know they sure were for me when I first moved here. Uh, I'll never forget the day my future mother-in-law asked me to save the dishes, which just means to put them away in case you were wondering. But while unique cultural phrases might seem confusing, I have friends for whom English is a second language, and they insist that English is really difficult. After all, a trunk could be attached to an elephant found in a car or be a box to store things in. And that's what I think of when I hear Tasha Layton's song, Look What You've Done. Depending on who says it and in what context, it could mean something completely different. I could say, look what you've done as a joyous celebration of a wonderful accomplishment. Or I could say, Look what you've done as an accusation of something shameful. Or I could sing in praise to God. Look what you've done as a remembrance of the goodness of my God. So this week's song takes all of this into account and inspired me to sit in a psalm and an Old Testament account all week. But before we jump into scripture, let's listen. Look what you've done. I love the chorus of this song that I just played, but I also love the first verse too because it says this, look what you've done. How could you fall so far? You should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed of myself. The lies I believed, they got some roots that run deep. I let them take a hold of my life. The first few lines, look what you've done. How could you fall so far? You should be ashamed of yourself. Reflect an accusation. And then the next few lines, so I was ashamed of myself, the lies I believe, they got roots that run deep, I let them take a hold of my life. This reflects agreement with the accusation. I owe all of my next few thoughts to Adam Young over at the Place We Find Ourselves podcast. I have learned so much from Adam, even though we've never met. I've just listened to him on the podcast. And if any of these next thoughts resonate with you in any way, I highly recommend that you check out his episode series on warfare and his podcast in general. I mean, all of his episodes are great. Uh, I will link to that in this week's show notes. You can find them over at michellenizat.com 
patreon.com forward slash 392. Or if you're already a subscriber to my website, then those show notes are conveniently in your inbox. One last caveat. Normally, I don't unpack the lyrics of a song. I let the song inspire me to dive into scripture, and then I spend all my time there, sometimes even leaving the song way back in the background. And I did that this week, too. I did spend time in scripture, and I am going to share that with you. But this song reminded me of so many wonderful truths that Adam so eloquently taught me that I really just didn't feel like I should miss this opportunity to point to them, too. So here we go. Accusations and agreements. All right, first of all, we have an enemy, and that enemy is an accuser and a liar. He doesn't really want to end your life as much as he wants to steal, kill, and destroy every experience you may have of the goodness of God. In fact, he is called the deceiver and accuser in Revelation 12. In verse 9, it says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So here you see Satan just in two verses right there, accuser and deceiver. And Jesus doesn't mince any words when he gives Satan the title, the father of lies. Over there in John 8, verse 43, Jesus asks, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Oh, that's so strong. That's so strong. And if you don't think he's actually dangerous, what about what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Or consider Paul's admonishment in, in Ephesians 6, 11. He says to, uh, he instructs believers to get suited up in our spiritual armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, schemes are strategies. And our enemy, he'll, he'll, he'll step into moments of opportunity. But more than that, he has a plan. He has a strategy to take us out 1 Timothy 3, 7 talks about how he sets traps or snares, and that shows intent and careful planning. So what is one of Satan's strategies? It is to accuse you of sin and bring condemnation on you in such a way that you end up agreeing with the accusation to the point that you make an agreement to walk in the accusation rather than the truth and freedom of Christ. It's a subtle strategy because the accuser will accuse you of sin, right? And we all know we sin. Sometimes his accusation is accurate and sometimes it's inaccurate. But I do I do love what Adam says about this on his podcast. He puts it this way. He's just reflecting what scripture says about it. But he says, the accuracy of the claim is largely irrelevant. No claim against you has any power to condemn you if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ. 
Let me say this again. The accuracy of the claim, right? The accuser will accuse you of sin, sometimes accurately and sometimes inaccurately. But the accuracy of the claim is largely irrelevant because no claim against you has any power to condemn you. Now, I'm not saying our sin is irrelevant. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Satan is not your judge. He is merely your accuser. God is our judge. And if we're in Christ, we are declared innocent of all charges. Don't forget what Colossians chapter 2 teaches, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set us, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So we have a record of debt to be sure, but in Christ it is canceled. This is not permission to sin or to unashamedly walk in sin. There are other verses that really talk about that. But Satan does not want you to unashamedly walk in sin as much as he wants you to sinfully walk in shame. The purpose of bringing accusations against you is so that you might labor under the weight of shame. And Adam Young teaches that the accusations that we hear during the day always seem to have a type of fittedness to our story. And he actually helps us identify and combat the accusations in his podcast series. But I want to I consider the one or the accusation that our song sings about. It says, look what you've done. How could you fall so far? You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, until you realize these accusations are the voice of evil, you will believe that they arise from your heart. But I want you to pay attention to the tone. Remember how I said the phrase, look what you've done, could mean different things based on tone and context? Pay attention to the tone of the accusations against you. Evil's accusations are unkind and harsh. God's confrontations never lack kindness. There's a difference between accusation and conviction of sin, and you can tell the difference by the tone. But the accuser isn't content with accusing. He wants to deceive. He wants to deceive you into forming agreements. Listen to our song again. You should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed of myself. I believed the lies. They got roots that run deep. I let them take a hold of my life. So this type of agreement with the accusation is like signing a contract. And, and just like a contract, it's binding. It enslaves you to a way of thinking that is rooted in shame and deception. Deeply rooted. You pledge yourself to a lie and now it becomes a part of how you see the world. Thus the phrase, you should be ashamed of yourself. So I was ashamed by my, of myself. So unfortunately, exposing the lie, bringing the light, bringing uh, the lie into the light, bringing light into the dark places, that's only part of the solution. The agreement, the contract between you and evil needs to be broken. And like our song sings about, God needs to dig up those roots of shame and deception. Spending time in God's word is part of that freedom plan. It is in God's word where we learn how to properly view him and thus ourselves. And it is in his word where we find freedom because his word is truth and the truth will set us free. Jesus said that in in his own words in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And even though we are uh, we're well into the episode today, I want to quickly share where I spent the majority of my time in God's word this week. I did spend my time in God's word. I didn't want to leave out all of this, um, these ideas about the accuser and accusations and all that stuff because I learned so much from Adam Young. But I do want to talk about uh, scripture. I don't want to leave that out. That's what we're all about on this podcast. So I spent the majority of my time in Psalm 52 and then in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. Now, Psalm 52 is a psalm that David wrote out of an experience that he had. And you can read all about the experience in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. He had a run-in with an evil man. And the consequences were devastating. They were devastating for some innocent people too. And this song that David wrote is a reflection of a real account of an enemy of David. But I think it could be applied to everything that we've studied about our enemy, right? We've just talked about him. So listen to this. Uh, Verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long? You who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. You who practice deceit. Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. (laughs) Think about this. This is exactly what our enemy is like. He delights and rejoices in evil and harm and deceit. And the next verse is aligned with our song in a way too. Verse 5, it says, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Of course, this psalm declares that God will take out this evil man that David is picturing in his mind when he wrote the song. But likewise, when our song sings of God, it says, Standing in your presence, Lord, I can feel you digging all the roots up. I just picture God digging up the root of evil we've allowed to grow deep in us because of our agreement with the harmful, deceitful tongue of our accuser. And then I want you to follow along as scripture compares and contrasts. This is a Bible interaction uh, tool exercise or a bite. I call them bites. I use compare and contrast sometimes. I want to compare and contrast the righteous one in this psalm and the evil one. We can list out what we've learned about the evil one. In the first few verses, and then we can add what we learn here. Verse five says, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. So if I'm going to take the bite of making a list, what do I know about the one who is bound to evil? Or what do I know about the evil one altogether? But the one who is bound to evil boasts of evil. He considers himself strong and mighty. We learned that in those first couple of verses. He plots destruction with his words. He uses sharp words. He uses deceitful words. He loves evil more than good. He loves lying more than speaking what is right. He loves words that devour, or more exactly, in the word in this psalm that says devour is confuse. Um, oh, I've seen that. Evil is is bringing a spirit of confusion uh, on our world today. He will not make God his refuge. He trusts in the abundance of his own riches. And I would say here, abilities and financial wealth, right? So relying on self for security. So that's what that thought is. And so this is all that I've learned about the one who is bound to evil. And the next verse says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. So let's take what we've learned and add 
this verse to take the bite of making a list of characteristics of the righteous one. And then we can compare and contrast, right? So we're going to make two lists, the evil one and the righteous one that we see here in this Psalm. Uh, The righteous one, the one who stands in the righteousness of Christ, that's the only way we can be righteous because uh, we have no righteousness of our own. But the one who stands in the righteousness of Christ shall see Meaning they recognize what's going on. And we talked a little bit about this, that we can't break the agreement just by knowing the truth. But I will say uh, that's step one, right? You have to be able to see. You have to recognize what's going on. They shall fear, meaning they take the judgment of God into account with awe and reverence. This fear here is not being scared. This is awe and reverence. And this is, I'm recognizing what's going on and I understand the gravity of what's going on because I understand the holiness of God. I have a fear. I have a reverence. I have an awe. They shall laugh. Uh, I can't imagine that this is a laugh of humor. I think this is more of like a relief laugh that, that I'm not in the same place or like a, huh, they, they're just on the wrong path um, and it's funny or not funny kind of a thing. Uh, they are like a thriving olive tree. So I read several things about olive trees in my studies this week. An olive tree can live hundreds of years. So there's kind of like a, um, a, a longevity to an olive tree. Obviously, olives and olive oil and oil has significance in scripture. Um, really, I think that that of all the commentaries that I read this week, I, I think the main point is um, there's a thriving that happens. I mean, it's less about the olive tree and more about I'm in the presence of God and I thrive in that presence. So this is a healthy, thriving, fruitful um uh, place that they are in this this person who stands in righteousness and then and then finally uh the person who stands in righteousness trusts in the steadfast love of God because verse 2 says it this way the steadfast love of God endures all the day it that that's true whether we trust in the steadfast love of God does is irrelevant because it will endure all the day. <laughs> it, it, the steadfast love of God endures and so uh, the righteous person though trusts in that. So you might wonder, though, how I ended up in Psalm 52 anyway. And I ended up in Psalm 52 because of the last verse. It says this, verse 9, For what you have done, I will always praise you. Right? Our song says, look what you've done. So for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. In light of what we've been talking about, isn't this such a beautiful response to the accuser? In fact, it neutralizes the accuser altogether by taking his well-worn accusation, look what you've done, and turn it into a praise toward our Heavenly Father. Look what you've done. And because of all that you've done, Lord, I will praise you. I will praise you publicly. I will praise you in the presence of your faithful people, which means I'm in the presence of your faithful people. I'm not isolating in shame. I'm encouraging and I'm being encouraged by my spiritual family. I will hope in your name, not my name, your name, because my name's mud. I mean, well, my old name isn't worth much, but my new name, my new name that you've given me, it's everything. And my new name is all about you, redeemed, a reflection of my redeemer, Christian, a reflection of the name that is above every name, the name of Christ. Jesus, I will hope in your name and I will hope in your name for your name is good. 
All right, so what's next? Well, read and meditate on Psalm 52 this week. If you follow the cross-reference to 1 Samuel 21 and 22, you can familiarize your story, uh, yourself with the story that inspired David to write that psalm in the first place. It's not, a, it's not a pretty story, I have to tell you, but our very real enemy plays dirty too. So you can go read that story and then, then, and then read it, the psalm in reflection on that. Check out this week's show notes, michellekneesat.com forward slash 392 for links to the podcast episodes that I talked about that highlight the accuser and the agreements. Uh, you're going to love it. You really will. This, uh, these agreements that we make with these accusations and how to find freedom. And it's such a, it's a biblical worldview teaching, uh, a teaching from a biblical worldview. And so I hope you enjoy that as well. But while you're in God's word this week, uh, don't just listen to what we say, other people, uh, podcasters and all that. Spend some time in God's word. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. You can email me, michelle at michellekneesat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneesat or Instagram at michellekneesat or my uh, Facebook page, public page is Michelle L. Nizat, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network, a network of podcasts associated with New Release Today. NewReleaseToday.com is the most innovative and largest Christian entertainment site online, existing to inform fans immediately about each week's new releases. I'm super excited to be part of this network. I hope you check them out. Uh, also, if you have not joined the 30-Day Music Challenge yet, I highly recommend it. The challenge is to listen exclusively to Christian music for 30 days. You are never too late to jump in. You just submit your name and email address to michellekneesat.com forward slash 30 day challenge and you're in. I'm excited about the upcoming women's conference this next weekend where I will be the keynote speaker. If you're local, there is still time to register for the Cultivate Conference in Lafayette, Louisiana, September 10th and 11th. Uh, Just head over to my website to get some more information. I would really love to see you ladies there. We're going to meet the God of the universe together in a unique and mighty way and I really want you to be there. Now before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website like Andrea from Pennsylvania, Susan from South Carolina, Michelle from Tennessee, Felix from South Dakota, Monica and Jenny, both from Australia. Welcome. New subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start. You also get your show no- the show notes and additional resources directly in your inbox every Monday morning. I also have a uh, weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, or desktop where you can print it out. And sometimes I create extra resources for my episodes and all of that gets delivered to you first. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Of course, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneesat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using When You Speak by Jeremy Camp to jump into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 392. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.